reading this morning comes from Genesis chapter 28, and we'll begin at verse 10. Genesis 28, verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north. And to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to the land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, And will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Well, friends, today we're continuing with episode three of the story that I like to call When God Chose a Scumbag. In episode one, we saw Jacob take advantage of his starving brother and selling, not giving, selling a bowl of lentils for the small price of his brother's entire inheritance. Scumbag. Last week in episode two, we saw Jacob simultaneously tricking his blind elderly father while stealing from his older twin brother. Yep, Jacob is the worst. There's nothing about him that's likeable, he's conniving, he's deceptive, he's selfish, manipulative, he's a scumbag. But God loves him. And he doesn't just love him because he has to love him. You know, he doesn't love him like how you might say you love your auntie, when in fact you hate every minute you have to spend with your auntie, but you say that you love her because she's family and you have to love her. God doesn't love Jacob like that. No, God actually loves Jacob. He goes out of his way to bless Jacob. He takes this lying, cheating scumbag and he treats him with nothing but kindness and grace. And friends, that's because God is the God of scumbags. In fact, from this point on in the Bible, God will start introducing himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, And Jacob, he is the God of scumbags. And Jacob is not the exception. No, Jacob is the rule. And friends, if you're a Christian and that's news to you, can I suggest 
that it might be time for some deep self-reflection. God is the God of this scumbag Jacob. But in order for God to actually become the God of Jacob, something had to change. And today in Genesis chapter 28, we see the thing that takes Jacob from being someone who knows about God to being someone who trusts God. Or to put it in Jacob's own words, if you turn back a page in your Bibles to chapter 27, in verse 20, we see Jacob pretending to be Esau. He's trying to explain how he had returned from hunting for wild game so quickly. And he's speaking to his father and he says, the Lord, your God, gave me success. But now, back in today's passage, chapter 28, down at the end, verse 20, listen to what Jacob says now. If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. Do you hear the difference? Last week, God was Jacob's father's God. He was your God. But now... The Lord will be my God. What happened to Jacob? What is it that can change God from being that God or their God or your God to being my God? And what is it that we need to take God from the periphery of our lives? To take God from being someone that we think about a little bit on Sundays and then hardly at all the rest of the week? To take God from being just God to being my God, to being the God that I delight in, the God that I am eager to trust and to worship and to serve. What is it that can bring about that kind of change in our lives? Well, we see three things in Genesis 28. Just like Jacob, we need God to find us. Just like Jacob, we need God's grace to grip us. And just like it did for Jacob, we need God's promises to propel us. We need God to find us, his grace to grip us, his promises to propel us. But our passage this morning begins with things not looking so great for Jacob. Now, before he was born, God had chosen to bless Jacob. But fresh from deceiving half the members of his family, Jacob's life is about to get a whole lot harder. He is loved and chosen by God, but that doesn't mean he won't face difficult times. Which, as a quick aside, is an important lesson for us to remember. Because God's love never means that we won't suffer. And so many Christians get this wrong. But God's love does not mean the absence of suffering. The person God loved more than anyone in the world got brutally executed on a Roman cross. God's love gives us hope through suffering. But it does not mean that we won't suffer. Well, in Genesis 28, Jacob is suffering. In fact, he is at an all-time low. For a bit of context, Jacob has just cheated his brother Esau. He's stolen his father's blessing. Esau is filthy. He is so angry that the only thing that gives him any comfort is the thought of killing Jacob. Esau is hell-bent on revenge, and so Jacob has to run for his life. Jacob leaves his elderly father 
not knowing if he'll ever see him again. He has to say goodbye to Rebecca, his mother who loved him. And while Jacob doesn't know it, this sad farewell is the last time that Jacob will ever see his mother alive. So Jacob is alone. He's left his fractured family behind and he's running for his life. Well, we pick up the story in verse 10 where Jacob is taking his mother's advice and running away to stay with his uncle. Now, in the Old Testament, there are three things that matter. Location, location, location. And that's why throughout Genesis and the whole Old Testament, we get hundreds of references to places The author really wants you to know where someone comes from, where they are going. Now, our Bible readers here in church, they don't love it so much, all those Hebrew place names, but the places are important. It's important for us to know that Jacob is leaving Beersheba, the place where Isaac found rest from the Philistines who were troubling him. It's important to know that Jacob is heading to Haran, 900 kilometres away, where Abraham was living when God called him. And so it's striking to see that when Jacob stops to rest and has a vision from God, there is no place name. In fact, in verse 11, we're told, when he reached a certain place, which is another way of saying when Jacob was in the middle of nowhere. The only thing certain about this certain place is that Jacob certainly doesn't know where it is. Jacob has no one, he's got no friends, no family, he's nowhere, and judging by his choice of pillow for the night, I think it's safe to assume that he's got nothing. You see, I've left my pillow behind when I'm camping plenty of times. And so when you find yourself in that situation, well, you improvise, don't you? And I've slept on jackets, I've slept on a backpack, I've slept even on my smelly boots. But never once have I stooped so low as to put a rock down as a pillow. The man that rests his head on a rock is the man that has absolutely nothing else with him. Jacob's got no one. He's nowhere. He's got nothing. But God finds him. In the middle of nowhere, while he's homeless and alone, God appears to Jacob in a vision. Now, it's important to know, Jacob wasn't looking for God. We know that because after he awakes from this dream, he thinks to himself in verse 16, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He wasn't looking for God. Jacob spent his whole life aware of God, but he's never ever sought him out. He knows about God, but he has no relationship with him. He is your God, not my God. And yet here, without any effort on Jacob's part, God comes and finds him. And when God finds Jacob, he speaks to him through a vision. Now, it's a rather famous vision, a vision of a stairway or a ladder resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. It's well known, it's not well understood, because lots of people get this wrong. When most people think of a stairway or a ladder to heaven, they assume that the stairway exists so that we, or at least in this case Jacob, can go up. Now, for starters, that's simply not what the passage says. Jacob doesn't go up the stairs. 
It's angels that we see going both up and down the stairs. And the reason for that is because in the Bible, heaven is exclusively God's place. Heaven is where God lives. It's where God reigns. It's his throne room, which means Jacob doesn't belong in heaven. No human belongs in heaven. Now you're thinking, hold on, but we go to heaven, don't we? Well, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't say anywhere that Christians go to heaven when they die. The heresy bells are ringing, aren't they? No, no, the Bible teaches that Christians will be resurrected. The Bible teaches that believers will live forever with God. Absolutely, but not in heaven. Our future hope is not heaven, but a new earth, a new creation, a new physical place that you can touch and feel and smell, where God comes to be with us. So, in essence, heaven comes down to earth. If this stairway that Jacob sees isn't for Jacob to climb up, what is it then? It's for God to send help down. There's a guy I studied engineering with that now lives in Norway, and he designs bridges, which is sort of my dream job, but that's okay. One of the projects that he's worked on was designing a bridge between Norway and neighbouring Sweden, across a river. Now, when two countries agree to build a bridge, it's about more than just concrete and steel. You see, that bridge is a symbol of connection. Countries that want to live in harmony with one another and cooperate with, with one another, they build bridges. Countries that don't, build walls. Well, the stairway that Jacob sees is a bridge between heaven and earth, a connection between God and Jacob. And so when Jacob sees angels going up and down those stairs, he sees a symbol of God using his power for him. And that offer of help is, is made clear, it's confirmed in verse 13 when we hear God speak. Anytime we see a vision in the Bible, it is always accompanied by God speaking. And God tells Jacob the very same thing he told Abraham and the very same thing he told Isaac. He promises to bless Jacob, to give Jacob land, to grow Jacob's family. And he promises to bless all the people of the world through Jacob's family. And in case Jacob has any doubts, in verse 15, God, God makes to make things very clear. God says to Jacob, I am with you, Jacob, and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. There's no one else there. God is making these promises to Jacob. Now, Jacob is stunned the God that Jacob has spent most of his life ignoring is now speaking to him. Can, can you just imagine that? This screw-up, this scumbag, this is the one that God finds and then lavishes with his grace. It's stunning to us. It was stunning to Jacob. He's surprised. He can't believe it. He's amazed. He's scared. He's gripped by God's grace. And it's these promises that alter the trajectory of Jacob's life. 
Because you see, it's what Jacob does next that matters. Because Jacob could very well have continued to do what Jacob has always done, and that's ignore God. He could continue to live his self-seeking kind of life. But in verse 18, Jacob takes his rock pillow and he turns it into a shrine of sorts. He pours oil on the rock and he names the place Bethel, which means house of God. And then in verse 20, he makes a vow. He makes a commitment. And the commitment basically is summed up that he is going to let his father's God become his God. Your God is now my God. Now, there's two ways that you can read this vow, and some people sort of read it in a negative light, and some people read it in a positive light. When you look at it in a negative light, it it looks, and it does look at first glance, as if Jacob is doing what Jacob has always done. (laughs) He's making a deal. He's cutting a deal. We've seen this guy sell a bowl of lentils to his starving brother in exchange for his inheritance. And here he goes again. This time he's just doing it with God. He says, look, God, if you do this for me, then I'll follow you and I'll worship you. It looks like Jacob's commitment is conditional on God doing what Jacob wants. Which sadly is exactly how some people relate to God today. You'll hear some people pray, if God gives me what I want, if God looks after my family, then I'll worship him. You see, it's possible to read Jacob's vow in a negative light, but there is another way to read it, and I think this is the right way. I don't think Jacob is making a deal. I think Jacob is expressing his shock and his utter amazement at God's kindness. It's a bit like this. Uh, This week I won a competition at a bike shop in Maroochydore. And the prize that I won is an e-bike, which I'm very excited about. But it's not quite that straightforward. Because the company has given me the bike, I picked it up yesterday. But right now, it's just a loan. It's actually not my bike yet. To make it mine, I have to ride it three times a week for the next nine weeks. And I have to share some videos of my experience. And so when the company asked me if I wanted to participate, I sounded very much like Jacob. If you're going to give me a free bike like you just said you would, of course I'll ride it three days a week and send you some videos. Count me in. That's what Jacob is doing here. If God will be with me, like he's just promised that he will be, if God will watch over someone like me, if God's going to feed me and clothe me and protect me, of course, count me in. I want this God. If God is going to be so kind, so generous, so gracious, if God is going to show such commitment to a scumbag like me... There's no question, is there? Of course I'll love him. Of course I'll follow him. Of course he will be my God. And friends, that that is what's happened to many of you. You've, You've heard this gospel. You've heard this good news about the God who loves you, even in your sin. And, and you thought, of course. How could I not follow this God? How could I not worship this God? Well, friends, Jacob is found by God. 
He's gripped by God's grace. He's motivated to trust God and serve God and worship God as he is propelled forward by his promises. But the thing for us to see this morning is that the God of Jacob acts in exactly the same way for us today. You see, just as God found Jacob when he was nowhere with no one and nothing, God sought us out while we were godless and hopeless. They're the words that Paul uses in Ephesians. We were godless and hopeless. And he found us. Lots of us live under the illusion that we actually found God. We didn't find God. Sure, it it feels like you found God. From our perspective, it looks like, you know, someone, we we were seeking God out and and we we found him in the Bible or a friend shared about him and, and we sought him. But friends, we find God in the same way that a lost kid finds their parents in a busy shopping centre. And you know how a lost kid finds their parents in a busy shopping centre, don't you? They cry, they panic, they wander aimlessly in circles, completely hopeless, until finally mum bursts through the crowd, eyes wide, shoving people out of the way so that she can get to her child, and then she scoops the child up and the kid says, Mummy, I found you. Sure you did, kid, sure you did. Friends, the only reason any of us have found God is because God took the initiative to seek us out while we were wandering around lost. The only reason we've found God is because God sent his son to seek and save the lost. Just like Jacob, we were lost. We weren't looking for God. We didn't necessarily even want God. But God came to us. And just like he did for Jacob, God revealed to us a stairway to heaven. You see, in John 1, Jesus is talking to Nathanael and he then announces to all his disciples. He says, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You see, in John 1, Jesus takes Jacob's vision and he announces to the world, I am the stairway. He says, I am the connection between heaven and earth. You will see the angels ascending and descending on me. I am the link between God and people. I am the fullest expression of God's commitment to sinful humanity. I am God's grace to you. Friends, if you want God to become real to you, if you want God to be more than just a tradition that you observe, if you want God to become the thing that most delights you, the thing that most comforts you, the thing that brings you most joy, just like Jacob, you need to be gripped by his grace and propelled by his promises. And friends, the God of Jacob is the God who says to you, just like he said to Jacob in verse 15, I am with you. I will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back, not to the land of Canaan, but to God's new place, to the new creation. God says, I will bring you home. 
And I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And friends, God has done that for you, even you. He's promised you himself. And so will he be that God, their God? Or friends, will he be your God? Father, we praise you that you are the God who sought us out. It certainly feels to many of us that we were looking for you, but we know we only found you because you found us first. That in the depths of our sin, in our wandering, in our lostness, you came to us and you sought us, you found us, you saved us and you promised us your grace. You promised that if we put our trust in you, we would have our sins forgiven. You promised that if we trust you, we will not face death, but we will live forever with you, that we will get you. You promised that our future home is a new creation where you come to dwell with us. Father, we thank you that you have chosen to bless us in these ways. But Lord, we ask this morning that by your spirit, your grace would grip us so that we would not hold you off at arm's length, but that we would embrace you as our God. Show us that it is in you that everything that we want or desire or could ever hope for is found. May you be our God, we pray. Amen.